This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demres, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. Today, I'm very excited. I got Jaron from Repair Shop of Tomorrow here today. Um, I was talking with Jaron last week, and as you guys know, Repair Shop of Tomorrow is one of the proud sponsors of our podcast. And we were just talking about a lot of things, but you know, this cool webinar that he just did came up where he talks about maximizing profits through labor specifically. Uh, We'll put the link to the recording of that in the show notes, but yeah, just want to welcome him on here, tell a little bit about him, tell a little bit about Repair Shop of Tomorrow and what kind of stuff that they do for shops. So Jaron, thanks for coming on here. Hey, Hunt, appreciate the invite and big fan of the show. Like you said, we're we're a proud sponsor. And uh, excited to you know chat a little bit about what we feel is the most important side of the business, which is the labor side. Quick background on me. I've grown up, spent my whole life in the automotive industry. I started working in actually my parents' Napa stores when I was 12 years old. They owned, at one point, they had three stores in Southern Illinois. I was really good at stocking shelves and dusting parts. I had that going for me. I went ahead and went to college. And then right out of college, I was fortunate enough to actually go to work for Napa Auto Parts. I spent uh, 12 years working with them. Most recently, I was with the Napa Tracks team. I was able to you know, help coach shops on uh, how to run more profitable and efficient businesses. So earlier this year, I had an opportunity to come over with the repair shop of tomorrow. Like you said, we're actually Napa's endorsed coaching and in-house marketing company. So all we do, Hunt, is we work specifically with Napa Auto Care Centers. Our goal through our coaching, through our marketing, is really to help our shop owners unlock their full potential. So we're very proud of the partnership we have uh, with Napa, uh, and we're excited to continue to move our message forward and and really just help the industry uh, as a whole grow and, you know, continue to be more professional. I would like to have a quick word from our sponsors who make business by the numbers possible. Checking your balance when you close is a pain unless you have end of day payments from Shopware. It tallies up all transactions and puts your mind at ease when you see your daily snapshot. GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, their unique done for you marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. A lot of coaching is obviously everyone here has their different styles. They have different stuff to focus on. But I think that your perspective on this industry is so important, right? Because you've seen it from all aspects of it, right? You've been a part of a family business. Now, it wasn't a Napa Auto Care Summer, but a parts store, right? You worked in there, you worked for Napa Tracks, and now you know, you've know you come over to the coaching side of it. And I think that input is really cool. Now, one of the things that, you know, always, you know, and I've been interested in this for a while. And one of the big things that you guys always talk about, as you know, our listeners have heard from my ad reads, is you guys focus on labor a lot. A lot of coaching companies, you know, send out a lot of different things. And I feel like that you guys have a really big focus on labor. You know, is that deliberate? Is that something that you feel like is missing? Or or why do you feel like that that is so important for shops? I truly believe that all coaching companies in the automotive, you know, aftermarket, we're all just trying to do the right thing. You know, we're all trying to help small business owners, you know, realize success and provide a better life for their family and their employees. But, you know, the labor side of the business is our biggest opportunity as a, as a shop owner. It's the biggest opportunity for growth mm-hmm. uh, and it's the biggest opportunity uh, really to increase net profit. And, 
you've really got to focus on, you know, how do you make those changes in your business to really drive that profit increase? And to us, Napa, of course, is, is a partner of ours and they sell parts. But, you know, in my opinion, parts have started to become a little bit of a commodity. We've got Rock Auto and, and all these other online retailers. Napa's going to yell at us if you say the R word, right? I know, I know. You see, you see how I stopped as soon as I said the first one? Carl, like, cut that I, out. <laughs> yeah, I said the first one and then I was like, nope, that's it. I think it also comes from a day and age where there used to not be an abundance of quality parts, right? I know some people are listening to this right now and they're saying, well, there's only OEM or nothing, but there's a lot of really good options out there, you know? So go back to your point, but I think that is a really cool idea. Well, yeah, and you know, and everybody now in this in this age, you know, whether you're a millennial or a, a baby boomer or Gen Z, whatever the case is, we all have an abundance amount of information at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. I read a, a study the other day that you know the average person that's a millennial spends eight hours a day on their cell phone. <laughs> um, that's so sad, and, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I kind of got to look in the mirror and I'm like, man, I, I feel like sometimes on the weekend that's that's me. You know, but baby boomers aren't much better because it says they they spend five hours a day on their phone. So we have all this abundance of information at our fingertips. Everyone thinks they're the expert mm-hmm. and they want to come to the automotive shop and say, I can buy this part for this. Yeah. So to combat that, right, how do we improve and, and how do we increase our bottom line? And it's about focusing on the labor. It's our biggest opportunity for growth. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, it's also the biggest opportunity for cost because you have payroll, mm-hmm. you have efficiency, productivity, and all the things that come alongside of measuring and, and managing the labor side of your business. Yeah, and you're exactly right, you know, because when it comes down to it, you know, the parts, 99% of the time, the part that any shop is buying, a consumer could get that part if they want, right? You know, you might be able to say, well, hey, it doesn't come with a warranty. Sure, but if they physically wanted to go, even if it's a dealer only part, they could go into the dealer and they could buy that part. Now, do they know what to do with that part? No, right? That's why they're at a repair center to be able to get this stuff fixed. But this is, you know, and I tell people this all the time, you know, the auto repair industry, you're selling parts and labor, but really when you break it down to your core, your shop is only as good as your team. It's your people, right? You could have the fanciest shop, the nicest building, the nicest signs. If you have terrible technicians, you're going to have a terrible business. If you have rock star technicians, you can have a pretty bad shop, ugly, dirty, and you're still probably going to be pretty popular because you do good work, right? And so it's so important to be maximizing the team and to be making money on this. I think the one big thing that I've been seeing now is, you know, a lot of people surprisingly are having problems finding techs. You know, this is not a new thing, but it's been compounded. And I also have been seeing a rise lately in the amount that they're paying technicians. Hey, you know what? I've had to increase my guys' flat rate hours or hourly rates or salary just to make sure that I'm taking care of them and they don't try and go somewhere else. You know, and I think kind of going to one of the points we were talking about before, is it important to keep this in mind when you are setting your labor rate? Right. Do you need to factor in your cost? And, you know, how would you kind of if someone is here listening right now and maybe they just increased the amount that they pay their technicians or they're planning to like, what would you say to them about how they would kind of judge that on their current labor rate and, you know, how they should maybe be analyzing that? It's a great question. Uh, We get it all the time. I'm sure, you know, with your clients that, you know, they're probably bouncing questions off you that are very similar to what we get. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there is no silver bullet answer, right? Like, what should my labor rate be? Well, there's a lot that goes into determining what your labor rate should be. So you just talked about the amount of pay, right, that you're paying your technicians. And this is a very difficult industry. So 
we need to pay our technicians mm-hmm. first and foremost. I want our shop owners to be, you know, I want the technicians to be billing 60 hours a week and making a hundred grand. I want them to have a good, a good life for their family and themselves, but you really got to break it all the way down in my opinion and look at the first thing you need to look at is what is your break even point for your shop? When I pose that question to shop owners, a lot of times I get that kind of like stare looking back at me. Like, I don't know what my break even point is. Mm-hmm. The way that, you know, I look at it is, okay, well, let's figure out what your break even point is. And then let's start to work backwards from that. So once you know your break even point for the month, you know, you can look at your P&Ls. You guys obviously uh, help them manage that. You can see what your break even point is. Now we break it down for the week to the day to the hour. So you're going from that direction. So you're saying, hey, I'm not going to get hyper specific here on per technician. You're actually saying, hey, let's take a step back and let's say, what does this shop need as far as sales? And then, you know, so let's say that I have a shop that it's got $100,000 sales. That's my break even point. You now have that. And what do you then start backing into the labor sales and ultimately the labor hours and stuff like that or what? So we have formulas and things that, that we coach, you know, our clients on. So once we figure out what we need from a break even point, right, then we start to look at, okay, what's the desired amount of gross profit you want to make? We do get specific and look at, you know, individual technicians. We're going to talk a little bit maybe about, you know, looking at our technicians cost. But once we have that figured out, we use a, a 20% formula for what your desired technicians cost should be. And then that automatically can help, you know, set your labor rate. So if we just say, look at your weekly sales and you times it by 0.20, 20%, that should be your desired technicians cost on a weekly basis. Gotcha. Okay. And then once we know that, right now we start to plug in numbers and we start to say, okay, this is where we want to be from, from a profitability standpoint. For our clients, and really I wish everybody in the industry, whether they're a client of ours or not, we want to see the labor profit percentage at 65% or higher. Yep. That's where these shops need to be. Yep. Again, you, you look at parts as a commodity, you know, the information that's out there, everybody can find. Well, we already know they're coming to you as a shop owner because you're the expert and you're a professional and you have thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in your people and your business. And so we just need to make sure we're charging appropriately because- Profit is not a four-letter word, if you know what I mean. This is why you're in business. It's to make money and to provide a good life for your family. And I think our industry struggles with that a little bit. I feel like that there's so many industries out there that are looked at a good thing. Like, hey, you know what? You go to your attorney, you go to your doctor. You're not saying, come on, do it cheaper. You obviously know that this person's there to make money. And for a lot of times, I feel like shop owners, you know, obviously they want to help out the community. They want to help out people. But I feel like a lot of times that, you know, they get looked at for favors. Come on now. This is outrageous. It's like, this is shop owners not driving up in a Bentley SUV, right? You know, they're trying to take care of themselves. They're trying to take care of their family. They're trying to take care of their team. And, you know, you and I have both talked to shop owners enough. This is not the most fun industry, right? You know, it's stressful. There's a, a lot of risk there. You know, there's a lot of things riding on it. And I always tell people, it's like, hey, you know what? There's a lot better things that you can do with your life than run a shop. But if you are, let's at least make some money doing it, right? Yeah. It's funny. You know, you mentioned a webinar, you know, I, I did earlier right before that webinar, you know, it's like, you know, Google, big brother, whatever's watching every move and those, mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting ready to talk about a, a labor webinar and why it's important to charge correctly. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but there's this dealership in Arizona that's now went viral on like TikTok. They're asking their employees 
what their current car payments are. The first guy they asked, he's got a 2022 Ford Raptor. His payment's $13.56 a month. His wife's got a 2022 Explorer or Expedition, one of the two, and hers is $1,000 a month. Okay, so you've got $2,300 in car payments, yet we have people that are concerned that they can't charge $150, $160, $170 an hour to fix what in most people's life is their second biggest investment. Yeah. And it's just, and arguably for a lot of people, like their most important investment. Hey, if you don't have a car, you don't have a job. If you don't have a car, you don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, right? You know, there's a lot of things that are predicated on having a car. Yeah. So all I've ever done, you know, mm-hmm. I have friends in other industries and, you know, businesses and things like that. But have you ever seen really an industry, and this may sound bad, that's more concerned with other people's wallets than what we see in the automotive industry? Kind of talking about like your favors. I know a lot of shops, you know, are very conscious about their prices. And I think a lot of it comes from that they think that the customers are coming in because their prices are cheap. And, you know, a lot of times I have to give them kind of the pep talk of, hey, you're already not the cheapest guy in town and you're booked out three weeks. People are not coming to you because of cost. They're coming to you because you know how to fix things. You know how to do it right the first time. And it's a good environment. Push the value side of it, not the price side of it. We always, you know, talk about price really only becomes an issue when there's an absence of value, mm-hmm. right? When the value is high, price is normally the last thing that the customer is worried about. And I'm not saying that this is 100% accurate, but the most expensive shop in town rarely goes out of business, mm-hmm. right? And again, it's because they have the value and they're offering their customers an experience. It's the reason people go to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. The food's great, but the experience is even better. And so that's what we try to talk about. Now, some places they're starting to become less than some independents that I have. But look at the dealership, for example. You know, everyone kind of measures their prices based on the dealership and the dealership's generally, you know, 20% higher. The dealership's booked up, right? You know, and the experience is terrible there, you know? And so it's like, look, people are still going to places, you know, and they're not dictating it completely based on pricing decisions. Going back to like, how do you set your labor rate? Shop owners, a lot of times are, are proud, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they were technicians. They went out and they started their own shop. And you start having the labor rate conversation. And he goes, and I go, okay, well, what's the dealer down the street chart? Well, he's 165 an hour. And I go, okay, all right. Well, you're 110, let's say, for example. <laughs> so he's $55 an hour better than you. And then all of a sudden you see the ego, right? They're like, They're like, well, no, I'm the best guy in town. Okay, well, let's start working on charging appropriately because that's what you deserve as a shop owner. I do agree. You are the best in town. So why aren't you getting what you deserve? Well, I think a lot of this stuff is also compounded too, right? You know, if if you don't charge accordingly for your labor rate, you're not going to make the proper amount of sales. You're not going to make the proper amount of profit or gross profit to be able to pay your team, right? And so like you mentioned before, if you are the big dog in town, you are the most expensive, you're loud and proud about it and you back it up, you're going to not only attract customers, but you're also going to be attracting technicians, right? You don't think technicians can be like, hey, that guy's got a really nice place. He takes care of his people because he's $55 an hour higher than what my boss is. So he can afford to throw his employees another 20 bucks an hour and still make money on it. And also, you know, in this day and age where this technology is changing so rapidly, you know, if you want to go and service EVs, or even if you just want to kind of keep up with the technology as it is now on internal combustion engines, you're going to need cash to do that. You're going to need cash to be able to either use that to buy new equipment, new training, you know, financing, whatever it is. And if you're not making enough money, then how are you going to be able to do that? You're going to get left in the dust. 
again, making the money you deserve. How do you do that? We focus heavily on, you know, matrixing the labor. You know, the reason why we matrix the labor, the, the first thing is it's Mitchell, you know, all, all the labor guides, like, and what's the word in there, right? It's guide. They're not the gospel set in stone. So, so they're just a guide. But when you start to matrix your labor and you start to your point, have the money in the business, we're not telling you to do this so that you can go on six or seven vacations a year. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're telling you to do that so that you can take those dollars and you can reinvest in the business. That's the important part. As much as you love the shop routine that you have now, I'll tell you that switching to a cloud-based shop management system will pay off in more ways than you can imagine. Not only will you let go of bad habits that are costing you money, you'll free up more time for your techs to fix more cars. Your quotes will be quicker and more accurate, and you'll make more money per part than you ever did before. We all know that time is money. When you streamline your day, you waste less time on repetitive brain drains. Start fresh by going to your favorite browser and looking up GetShopware.com. The orange Book a Demo button will set you on a journey for more profit and less stress. You'll never look back. Check it out at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed coaching and marketing program, their unique industry-proven marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Instead of taking a shotgun approach, Repair Shop of Tomorrow uses predictive marketing that focuses on bringing the right cars into your shop. They utilize social media, email marketing, direct mail, personalized newsletters, and Napa value-added programs to create quality car count for their clients. This same branded message, same branded content marketing approach is bringing in the right customers and bringing them in more often, which is helping their clients add more net profit to the bottom line. If your current marketing strategy isn't yielding the results you would like, please reach out to Repair Shop tomorrow to get your marketing efforts dialed in. For more information about their program, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Talk a little bit about labor matrix for those that are maybe are saying a labor what? I have a parts matrix, I don't have a labor matrix. So what give me the short answer of a labor matrix and why it's so important. You know, just like parts, okay, labor labor needs to be matrixed. If you really think about it, in a shop you're really uh, a labor factory, mm -hmm. so to speak. You're just selling blocks of time. Uh, and sometimes and there's so, parts attached to those times, but at the end of the day, no time, no parts, right? So it all piggybacks off of labor. 100% uh, agree with you there. Yeah, 100%, right? So like I said, it's parts matrix. A lot of time you'll see, okay, zero to 10, I'm going to use this percentage, make this gross profit. So um, there's two ways to matrix your labor. You can matrix it off of time and you can matrix it off of dollars. Okay. Our labor matrix is quite cumbersome from, I mean, we actually matrix the labor from one hour. We matrix every 10th of an hour all the way to 19 hours. And so we're matrixing it off of, off of time. There's a lot of information out there. You could, I'm sure you could go to Google and type in an automotive labor matrix and, and get some help. But think of it like a parts matrix, right? You know, you've got this part costs you X and you're going to make this profit percentage off of it. The same holds true for the labor matrix. It's, it's not unethical. It's not to take, you know, get one over on the customer. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is, again, it's a labor guide. How many of your clients uh, live in the rust belt where mm -hmm. they've got rusted bolts and, and everything that comes along and brake lines are, you know, rotted out. Okay. Well, that's not reality when they're setting those labor guides. 
sense. And so, you know, it allows for you as a shop, you as a technician, again, to make the money that you deserve, but to take that money, to reinvest it in your business, to reinvest in your people um, so that you can really, you know, focus on, in my opinion, enhancing that customer experience. I have a lot of people. I mean, the Rust Belt example is probably the most common one that I hear a lot of people talk about is they say, hey, you know what? We're in Maryland, right? We're in Ohio. If I have something that calls for two hours, it's going to get 2.5, right? I have to give myself, I have to give my team an extra half hour because if they're doing, you know, some of the suspension work, you know, that bolt that on a repair procedure should zip right out sometimes snaps off the head, right? And this is to give us a little bit more time so that we can take care of that. Maybe it doesn't happen on every single one, but you're getting a little bit extra time on it. And I guess what you're saying on the matrix is a couple of different ways to do it, right? You can do it on the time. Hey, instead of charging two hours, it's now 2.5. I've seen some people add just a flat amount, right? Hey, everything yep. gets an extra 0.3 on it. And depending on, like you said, how complicated you want to get, you can do it where it's, you know, proportionally based on the amount of hours and a percentage base and stuff like that. And essentially the, the same idea on the labor matrix, right, is is the parts matrix. You know, you're obviously going to matrix it heavier on the lower end stuff. If you have something calling for, you know, 20 hours, you're probably gonna, not going to add 40 percent to that because it's just going to be outrageous. So, again, you know, we're, we're trying to maximize our profitability. And, mm -hmm. and you made a great point. You know, sometimes guess what? Matrixing your labor, you have that A-level technician, it calls for two, we matrix it to 2.5, and, you know, hunts the rock star technician and he gets it done in 1.8. Okay, great, right? We won a little bit on that. But think about all the times we don't win, and we cause a problem as a technician. We break that bolt that wasn't rusted. We cause an issue that when we don't turn around and charge the customer for that, because that's not ethically right. That's what a labor matrix also allows. It allows for uh, a little bit of that buffer. Because I, love you're that. Gonna, I love that idea to it. You're going to lose on some jobs. It's going to call for an hour. Something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're going to mess up in the procedure. And but not, not something where it's like, hey, I can go back to the customer. I can charge more. Exactly. So now I got three and a half hours in this hour job and I just lost. Okay. Nobody ever wants to lose in a scenario like that. But as a shop owner, you can kind of stomach those losses again if, if you're if winning you're making, more than if, you're losing. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're making up yeah. on the other ones, you know, because essentially, yeah. like you said, is hey, if you're adding in this buffer, if you're adding this a little bit extra on all the jobs that go perfectly well, it, it is a buffer, right? It is more than what you took. But think about it: if you're sitting here and you're a shop owner right now, you can look out into your shop right now and probably see at least a car that you got unbillable time on. Hey, you know what? We called for four hours. There's no reason it should have taken more than four hours and we're eight hours into it, right? Maybe a misdiagnosis, maybe something that we did wrong on our end. And, you know, if you're not matrixing, if you're not adding thing on it, then that unbilled time is right out of your pocket versus if you've been sitting here this entire week and, you know, got a little bit extra here, a little bit extra there. You're like, hey, I got four hours. I got to eat there. But this is why I price this rest of stuff accordingly, because everything is not going to go smoothly all the time. Right. And I mean, imagine going to that customer, you know, and think about it from like a warranty perspective, too, mm -hmm. right? Part goes bad, whatever. Like imagine having the money in, in the bank and you're making the amount of profit you need to make. Think about it coming back to that customer experience when you just tell Mrs. Jones, hey, don't worry about it. It's, it's handled. You're able to do those things when you are making the amount of money that you you know, deserve to make. Because we already said this industry is, it's very challenging. The technology mm -hmm. is always changing and you have to invest thousands and thousands of dollars. So again, same thing where 
you're not going to turn around and charge them for a mistake you made. But, you know, maybe something happened. Maybe it was the technician's fault. You had to come back. Instead of being so concerned about, I have to do this and it's going to, you know, be another $200 I'm not going to collect. Well, if you're doing everything else right and, you, and everything's set appropriate and you're making the desired gross profit you want to make, you just take care of that customer and you just send them on their way. And now that customer has that experience and they're never going anywhere else. They're coming back to your shop. Yeah, because you did so, it right. You know, you stood behind it. You got it done. And even if something does go wrong, I mean, I know a lot of shops firsthand that say, I'm just not going to call the customer and tell them, right? It wasn't really our fault. You know, the repair went differently. But there's a lot of customers that just don't understand enough about it to be able to say, hey, I can see how that could happen. And, and you guys deserve to be paid. It just looks like, man, I took this into Jared's shop and, you know, had it in there for a little bit. Now he's gouging me for even more money, you know, versus if you have this price correctly, you don't have to do that. Now, I do have a couple of questions on you. It puts you on the spot here. And some of these are a bit uh, contentious here. So if you want to skip it, you can. But <laughs> one of the big ones that I get asked a lot specifically on labor matrixing comes down to paying technicians. There's two schools of thought. I'm not going to say which is more popular with my clients or what I hear more. But let's go back to that example where, you know, let's say my shop, I add 0.5 to every job. Going to keep it simple. I just add 30 minutes to every book time. Now, the one school of thought says, all right, that job that called for two hours, I'm going to charge the customer two and a half. One job is going to say, all right, well, I charge two and a half to the customer. So I'm going to flag two and a half hours for my tech because that's what the customer paid me. The other school of thought is, hey, that extra 0.5 that I just sold is for me. This book time is only two hours. I'm only going to pay my tech two hours. What would you say if you're a shop owner that is deciding to start a labor matrix? Do you pay the techs the book time or do you pay them what you actually charge the customer? Technicians get paid on hours. Owners get paid on dollars. If the book time is, is 1.8 and we're ma- or two and we're matrixing it to 2.5, right? We're paying our technician two and the shop, the owner is taking that other 0.5% and adding that to the bottom line. And again, why do we do that? Reinvest in the business, hire and retra- you know, retain talent. I'm not saying that I have all the answers and that's a hundred percent right. That's just my feeling. And then this is why I feel that way. Because I'm a fan of flat rate, which I know will cause, you know, some <laughs> wild emotions. Um, you know where I'm going you, next. Well, I, I'm a fan of flat rate, so I'll just put it out there. But incentive-based, right? So, mm-hmm. again, we measure, and every shop needs to measure efficiency and productivity, mm-hmm. right? And efficiency is, you know, looking at build hours versus actual hours, okay? Well, you know, I build 40. I had 32 actual. I was 125% efficient. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? In our structure, you're going to get rewarded for that. Yeah. Okay. So you've hit these metrics instead of making $40 an hour, anything over 125. Now we're retroing back your pay and it's $45 an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you hit 150 and these are just numbers, right? You get to 150. Now it's $50 an hour. So that's my school of thought. But my problem with people saying this is the only way to do it, the owner should get it or the technician should get it is each individual shop needs to make that decision yeah. and they need to look at how their shop is run and the culture that they have in their shop. And they need to make an educated decision based on what works in their facility. And my only problem with the whole flat rate versus hourly thing, when people start going down it, 
I just hate when there's just this line drawn in the sand where it's like, no, you have to do it this way. Mm -hmm. That way is wrong. This way is right. Because people are looking to podcast and to people in this industry that have a voice. A lot of your listeners are are listening for professional advice. Mm -hmm. I just don't like when, you know, it's just completely drawn a line in the sand. You have just, to do it. just gross generalizations like, hey, yeah. this will work for any shop. No, I, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, that's always a tricky one. And when people ask me that, like, hey, do you pay the text? Do you not pay the text? And I think it, what's it, your thoughts? I think it probably comes back to how you're justifying that. You know, if you justify this from a strictly profit point of view of saying, hey, you know what, guys, this is a way for us to make extra money. Right. This is a way for me to make sure this is more profitable so we can reinvest. You know, this is not calling for more time. I'm just building a customer more to be able to get this cushion for you guys. I think that that's probably a little bit easier to swallow for the technicians versus the Rust Belt example is probably the exact opposite. If I'm in a rusty area and the reason why I'm charging extra is because these jobs are taking longer or some of them do. That if I'm a technician, I have a, probably a pretty fair argument on, well, hey, boss, you're saying that this is going to take me more time and inevitably it does. I should get it. Usually what I tell people is, hey, you know what? You are nothing without your team and going to make them as happy as they possibly can. Happy employees, happy technicians are going to be more profitable, more efficient, more productive. I feel like a lot of times people are a little bit too caught up in that, right? So like that 0.5, you know, let's break that down for the average shop. So if your labor rates, let's say 125, that's an extra 60 bucks for you, you know? And if your technicians at 40 hours, $40 an hour flat rate, that's an extra 20 bucks for them. You're still making an extra 40, whichever way you go, it's not going to be a monstrous difference, but no, I love the point that you brought up about these gross generalizations. Cause I've seen it before too. You know, we're in such a heyday of information. You know, it's one of the easier times to be a shop owner. While there's a lot of hard things about this industry than there wasn't 20, 30 years ago, there's so much information out there, right? There's so many different, you know, viewpoints. There's so many different great free content, right? Again, we can plug your webinar that you did that we'll put a link in there. But there's so much information out there for shop owners. And I see so many shop owners hungry for this information. But what works for my shop? What works for Jaren's shop? What works for your shop? If you're listening, we don't know, right? Everyone is a little bit different. And going back to flat rate, flat rate's a tricky one, right? Because flat rate, and I did this you know, a couple episodes ago when I talked about, well, should technicians be independent contractors? Because it's a really weird idea. Like, hey, you're going to get paid if you create work for me. And I feel like that people that don't like flat rate use that argument, the negative side. Well, hey, I only get paid if I do work. What if there's no work on it? Right now, the other side of it is how do you motivate someone, you know, that is our is salary? It's really hard. So it's like, Jaron, you're working for me, right? You're one of my good technicians, but you're slow. So I'm paying you 40 hours a week because you're hourly, but you consistently give me 20 hours. How do I have that talk to go and motivate you and be like, hey, Jaron, I would ideally like you to double your output of work and I'm going to pay you the exact same amount. And that's the really hard conversation to have versus if you go to fly rate and you say, Jaron, I want you to double your work because I'm going to pay you twice as much, you know, and for some guys, they have really good shops that are all hourly or salary. And if that's working for you, more power to you. That's awesome. Now, there's a ton of people out there that have very profitable shops that are doing flat rate and kind of the hybrid of the two, which for a while, 
And the idea behind it is probably still my favorite is I love the group-based pay plans, right? Because at the end of the day, I don't really care what an individual technician is doing. I care what my team is doing, right? Going yeah. back to what you're talking about, the break even. Hey, it's great that Steve flagged 50 hours, but the other three guys can flag a total of 40. This is not going to keep the lights on. Now, but one of the things I was talking to one of my clients and he was on this team-based structure and he recently got rid of it and went back to flat rate. And so what he found is that it was really kind of hurting the team because he has five technicians and they were kind of all across the board. And so what he did is a similar idea where they were flat rate, but it was a pool. And so he would add up all of the hours and it would be the total shop hours for the week. Let's say it was, you know, 150 hours, which means that every technician got 30 hours. Now they all had different rates, but the pool all just got, you know, dispersed proportionally to the people. And what he found out is he was like, there's net losers and net winners on here. And some of these net losers are not happy because he noticed that he had this one rock star technician that was cranking about 40, 42 hours consistently. And every single week consistently, he was getting paid about eight to 10 hours less because the rest of the team was pulling down his average. He went and talked to some of these guys and he said, hey, you know, what do you think? You know, what do you think we can fix about this? You know, what could make your guys' life easier? I was really talking about like operational things, not even pay plan. You know, hotshot technician said, boss, this is one thing that's really bugged me. I get why you do this. We got trainees in here. We are a team. But I'll tell you personally, this is very hard to motivate me knowing, hey, if I drive an extra five hours worth of work, I'm only going to get paid for one hour because now it's going into an average of five people. And so he said, you know what? I kind of see what you mean. He started looking at the numbers and he says, you know, let's try this. Let's go back to flat rate. One of the crazy things that he did is he got rid of flat rate and all of a sudden he's now increased his total team production. Everyone is now doing more hours. That guy that was averaging 40, 42 is averaging consistently about 50 to 52 over the last eight weeks. And what he's found out is that whole idea behind the group-based pay plan is they say, well, hey, if I drive an extra hour, that hour is not coming to me. It's coming to everyone. And it kind of stifled that motivation a little bit. And going back to the God forbidden flag rate, not only has been better for his team because they're all making more money, he's making more money. His customers are happy because their work's getting done on time. And you know that is my very extremely long-winded way of saying, <laughs> hey, what works for one shop does not work for another, right? A lot of this has to do with size. A lot of this has to do with skill set of your technicians. If you have varying levels of degree and productivity, you know, it's just try it out and see what works, I guess. Well, and, and that's my point too. Carm did a great episode. I know that everybody should go check out on this whole discussion. And it was very eye-opening to listen to, but you talk about the motivating side of things. And in my opinion, People are either recognition dependent or they're money motivated. And honestly, I think a lot of people are both. You know, they want to know that they did a good job and be told they did a good job, but they also want to be compensated for it. So I just try to look at it. My career has been structured and maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. I've always been kind of on a pay for performance plan and that motivates me to go above and, and beyond. Not saying that, you know, I wouldn't if, you know, here's what you get and this is what you get, but I've, I always try to relate things to like how I am and how I understand stuff and how, how I do stuff in my life. And again, whether or not that works for your shop, that's up to each individual shop. You're right. I mean, I think that someone that wants to do flat rates going to have a different personality than someone that wants to do salary hourly. I agree. So it's uh, 
somehow we got that worked into a uh, uh, a labor uh, podcast. <laughs> well, but, I think uh, it I think it all comes down to it because you know what I always tell people is you know at the end of the day we're selling parts and labor. Period. Yeah. If you do well at both of those, you can pretty much screw up everything else about running a shop, and you're going to have at least a profitable shop here. But specifically, I think that labor is one of the hardest things to drive because now we have people involved. And, you know, take out how you pay someone, take about how much you pay, take out how much you even charge on it. I think one of the biggest drivers and what I see sets the top performers away from, you know, just kind of middle of the road shops is productivity. Right. And so if you don't know what motivates your team, what makes them tick, what makes them want to do more, then how are you going to ask them to be more productive? You know, and being able to read the room, be able to say, because some people will say, hey, I want to bet on myself. You know, don't give me a base. Give me an unlimited ceiling. I'm going to go and I'm going to crank out a bunch of work. And then there's other technicians out there that are like, you know what? This is really stressful to do flat rate. I don't want to think about it. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to do everything that I can, but I just want to be paid salary. Doesn't mean that one of them is right or wrong. I see very profitable, very productive shops that are all hourly. I've also seen very productive shops that are all flat rate. I've also seen terrible shops that are flat rate and terrible shops that are hourly. It's very hard to put, you know, a broad stroke out there of this will work, this will fix your shop. It's just not that easy. No. And at the end of the day, hourly, flat rate, right? In my opinion, it all comes down to measuring and, and managing the data in, in regards to labor, right? That's productivity, that's efficiency. And to me, the most important thing is the effective labor rate. Again, however you get there in your shop, what works for you, I'm okay with that. We Again, same thing. We've got clients that are hybrid pay plans. We got some that have flat rate guys and salary guys, and, and it's just a mixed bag of everything. But at the end of the day, no matter what their pay scale is, what you really, I think, need to focus on as the owner are, again, those three key metrics, okay? Their productivity, their efficiency, and the effective labor rate. So, I mean... So, if, you, I, if you're looking at a shop, so we can give some people, like, some numbers to be able to kind of judge what they're going sure. on. If you're looking at efficiency, and, and for those of you, and I'm guilty of this, I use efficiency and productivity interchangeably. So, efficiency, right? You bill 40 hours... It actually took you 32, okay, you're 125% efficient. Mm -hmm. Now, productivity is actually looking at the hours that you were clocked in for work divided by the actual billed hours. It's billed divided by clock. If you were clocked in for 40 hours and you only were able to bill 32, you're only 75% uh, productive, productive. But you're 125% efficient. Correct, correct. Which one's more important? Well, I would say, you know, well, so here's the thing, right? A technician, in, in my opinion, obviously a technician controls efficiency 100% because it's their actual uh, I see what you mean. Efficiency is, is something that can be judged in a vacuum. Productivity yes. has outside forces. Shop owners have a direct influence on a technician's productivity. If you don't bring me the work to build hours and I'm standing here for 40 hours, you know, is that my fault, Hunt? That I worked 40 hours, right? But I was only billed 32. That's how we look at productivity efficiency. We look at it at every technician because you've got to be able to identify the winners and the losers. If you look at it as a whole, the numbers can be skewed. And what our numbers, you know, the productivity, unfortunately, the industry average says it's about 67%. 
so in a 40 hour work week, you know, you're, you're billing to your customer, you know, billing 28 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, but if we look at a shop and we see productivity is over a hundred percent to us, to me, that says, you know what, we might actually be able to hire another technician because our productivity is above a hundred percent. We so have a hundred percent a goal. No, actually, actually, our goal is about 80% for productivity. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, yeah. generally, yeah. generally when, I, when I look at productivity, that's usually the number I'll use. And sometimes for simple math, I use 75%. Hey, you're there for sure. eight hours, you want to bill six out, right? Because that's perfect. if you see someone, yeah. if you have a team, you know, and I'll ask you what you think about this, but is there something is, is being too productive? Like if you see productivity numbers too high, does that ever set off any alarm bells for you? I wouldn't say it sets off any like negative alarms, mm-hmm. but I would say it's probably, I'd say a lot of shops are probably seeing higher productivity numbers now because the car counts is drastically improved, mm-hmm. right? So they have the amount of cars. They're able to- Unlimited able supply, to, right? Yeah, hey, if you want to go yeah. grab another job, go. The parking lot's full. Go. Right. And so what does that say? Okay, well, then maybe I can add another technician. If I yeah. have a bay that's open, now I can add another technician because I know I have cars. Using the, the using the numbers to be able to tell you, you know, hey, do we have capacity here or not? Business by the numbers, man. Right? That's, <laughs> the, that's, the, that's the only way you can measure and manage your business is through the data and through the numbers. So great uh, advertising on my part, right? Advertising on my own podcast for my podcast that people already listen to, right? <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it, man. So, you know, everybody has their own, you know, little viewpoint on it. And obviously I if really- you can go higher than that, but yeah, I mean, I, I think general sense on it. So we got 75% for productivity. So if you have an average tech, if you're averaging that you're getting 30 hours and, and usually what I tell people is, Hey, I want to get paid 30 hours at my door rate, not my effective, not selling hours. Hey, if my labor rate's 150, I want to get paid 30 hours at 150 for a technician. If you have, you know, all your technicians doing that, you're going to have a pretty good business because now you're factoring other time, right? Cleaning up, you know, going on the tool truck, break, stuff like that. Efficiency, you want to obviously be at 100% or better because that's meaning, hey, I'm taking the proper amount of time or less on a job. I would say if you're looking at a shop and you have the efficiency at 70%, meaning that you know, you're know you taking way more than you should be or the techs are taking way more than you're selling to the customers, I would have to think that you need to really look in the mirror there and say, hey, maybe it's not my technicians being slow. Maybe I'm not giving them enough time on these. Maybe I'm not giving them enough time. Maybe I'm not uh, giving them the right work. Why am I giving? Why am I giving my my C tech right a level job or vice versa? Yeah. So you know, I mean, there's a lot of factors obviously that come into it. But you know, a lot of times you look at your A level technicians and they're always fed the absolute toughest problem cars to mm-hmm. diagnose. And so, in a lot of cases, you know, a really good B tech is like the most profitable tech in the shop because he's cranking, right? He's cranking those brake jobs, alternators, shocks and struts. You know, it's calling for one hour on brakes and he's doing them in 0.5. And he's also in the other bay doing a a transmission service while he's waiting on parts, right? Whatever the case may be, you know, there's a lot of factors of course that come into play, but I guess if anybody was list, you know, to take anything away from it when you're looking at it, I guess the important part for me is is make sure you're you're looking at each individual technician when you're looking at efficiency and productivity because you got to find where the holes are in your business and you got to find where there's opportunities to improve. 
Um, well, and it probably speaks a lot about what's going on, right? Because if I have, let's say I have four technicians, three of them are doing a really good job and one of them has some pretty low metrics on it, then I'm probably fairly confident that there's something going on with that specific, whether it's ability, whether it's specifically the work that I'm dispatching, then that's probably a localized issue versus if you're seeing these metrics on all of them, it's probably not all of your technicians problem. This is probably a shop problem. Would probably you agree? a shop problem. Yeah. 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 And shop flow. You could diagnose it a, a couple different ways, but, uh, yeah, know. it's not all. Yeah. Cause a lot of people think, Oh, you know, I got to get them motivated. They're lazy. It's like, well, maybe your workflow or your work dispatch sucks, right? Maybe they're taking longer because they started on that job and it's sitting up on the rack because you didn't order the right parts for it, or you didn't get the approval from the customer. You know, there's, and this is why labor gross profit is so important, but also so hard because it's not just your technicians. You know, this all has to work smoothly from the front counter back to the shop, to the shop foreman, to the shuttle driver, right? Everything has to be orchestrated correctly if you want to have a productive and profitable shop. And, you know, the thing that I probably miss, too, sometimes I'm talking about productivity, again, because you're looking at clocked hours and, and build hours is, you know, if you've got 60, 70 percent productivity and you're like, man, the, you know, the build hours just aren't there. The guys are clocked in. Well, maybe you have a service advisor issue, mm-hmm. right? Maybe your technicians are spending the proper amount of time doing DVI. They're taking pictures, videos. They're building great estimates. They're building, you know, out what could be a great estimate with all the suggested work and your service advisor, either, you know, they're just not presenting it to the customer. They're again, they're thinking, you know, they're more concerned about, you know, Mrs. Jones, she can't afford this. Or maybe they're just not good at explaining and, you know, laying out why it's important to do these needed repairs. So a lot of things can affect productivity and efficiency and just make sure you're managing those things because that's where. You know, you want to talk about lost profit dollars. I mean, how much, you know, if you're losing, you know, let's just say your posted labor rates, you know, $100 an hour, which I know is terrible. I'm just trying to use simple math, right? Hey, I, got, I got people still in the double digits. Hopefully none of our clients are, but people that I talk to mm-hmm. <laughs> might be. But, you know, and let's just say you're, you know, you're, you're losing your effective labor rate is $75, okay? So in a 40-hour work week, you know, let's say from a single technician, right? That's a thousand dollars in lost labor dollars, not collected, right? You're a hundred dollars, your effective labor rate is 75. Now all of a sudden you're, you're only garnishing actually $75 an hour. A 40 hour work week, that's a thousand dollars. You know, how much more in sales do you need to generate to recoup that a thousand dollars that you lost in your labor dollars? And if you look at it over the course of a year, it could be fifty, sixty thousand dollars Again, that's why all these numbers are important. I love that idea on the effective labor rate. You know, haven't really looked at it that way of, hey, yeah, you're selling a proper amount of hours, but you're not getting paid close to what you think you are. And for those of you that don't know, and again, effective labor rate's notoriously something that's tricky to calculate. The way I always calculate is, hey, labor sales divided by labor hour sold. That's your effective labor rate because that's what you actually realized. Let's say that my street rate is $100 an hour. Obviously, I would love my effective to be 200, but that's not realistic. What is a realistic target for effective labor rate as it compares to your street rate? We want it to be within, you know, 10% of your post. 10%. Rate. Okay. So like love that 10% discount. Yep. And now if $90. I'm sitting here and I'm at 75, you know, what are the best ways to drive your effective labor rate? Implement a labor matrix. <laughs> Implement a labor matrix. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, right? Implement a labor matrix. Okay. And ensure that your service advisors are charging 
appropriately and they're not discounting your services uh, at the counter. And the right? big one they're that not, I see too is a lot of people, depending on what shop management software that you use, not shopware, shopware will do this for you, right? But a lot of shop management softwares, you got to be careful, especially, you know, this year I've been, you know, preaching, we got to increase our labor rates. Inflation's at 8%, labor rate's just a peg, keep on increasing it. But I've also seen a lot of people that don't realize that some shop management software is if you increase your labor rate and your canned jobs are not set up correctly, your canned jobs are going to be at the same price. You know, so you might have went from 120 to 140 an hour in your labor rate. That's great. But your canned jobs for break service is still at 250, right? And so you're realizing a lower rate on some of those canned jobs. If I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, hey, my effective labor rate's 25% lower. You know, is there any way that I can go through my shop management software and like kind of figure out where I'm bleeding on that? Or, or how do you kind of start diving into that? It's a great point on, you know, increasing your labor rate. We, we think you should obviously be looking at that, you know, quarterly, mm-hmm. definitely once, you know, twice a year. We want to make sure our canned jobs are set appropriately. We don't want to matrix, matrix our canned jobs, right? Mm-hmm. We just want to, we just want to sell our canned jobs appropriately. But as far as figuring out, you know, where you can improve or where the issue is, again, it all comes down to the labor dollars, like you said, that technician is billing divided by the amount of hours he is working. In all honesty, I mean, the effective labor rate, uh, in my opinion, it's because they're discounting the labor in a lot of cases. Oh, because people, people reason, are shooting themselves in their foot. They're just saying, yeah. hey, you know what? I'll knock 50 bucks off of that. Yeah. Like, you know, they're shooting from the hip. They're like, all right, this calls for this and I'm going to do it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Charge them, you know, charge them 87 99 Or they're okay. thinking with their own wallet. Man, I can't even call up Jaren and tell him it's this much. I'm just going to take some off the top before I even call him. Yeah. Again, we have software that we use that allows you to put, you know, your employees cost. Look, it bolts onto a lot of shop management systems, but you know, it allows you to put your, your technician's cost in there. Obviously, once they have their cost, then it looks at the labor dollars they're billing, looks at their build hours, shows the gross profit that technicians, you know, making for you. And then ultimately shows you by technician what your, what their effective labor rate is. Oh, wow. Um, so this will actually allow someone to be able to analyze not only what their overall effective labor rate is, but actually be able to analyze some of the technicians and say, Hey, you know, we might have an effective labor rate of a hundred. But two of our technicians are at 75 and two of them are at 125. We need to figure out what those guys are doing that is different than these other guys. Yeah, we look at it by technician. Cool. Uh, again, because we, we need to know where the opportunities are and, and where the holes are in the business. And, you know, one thing I'll just say, too, about shop management software, whichever one you're using, I'm not an expert on all of them. OK, so I won't generalize. I just know. Come on, you're a company man. You got to push Napa tracks. <laughs> I know, but I'm, 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 I'm being generous of your, of your other sponsors. Um, so I'll use Napa tracks for an example. Okay. And a lot of shop management systems use this same scenario. So you put your technicians cost in. Okay. Well, a lot of times people aren't putting their true cost in. Yeah. It's not a loaded cost. Right. Mm-hmm. We, you know, and, 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 you know, for your audience, that's, you know, that's not what you're paying them hourly. That's what their benefits are, their taxes, insurance. Inefficiencies a lot of times too. Right. Right. So that's their loaded cost. So that has to be in there. But I don't really know. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll use Napa Tracks, you know, from a profitability standpoint and from, you know, looking at your labor profit. OK, and, and that shop management system, it's only looking at what Jaren cost versus the hours 
that were billed slash invoiced in the system. Exactly. And that's most and that's of them, nothing to do with clock hours. It's literally, right. hey, Jaron sold one hour this week. We pay him twenty five dollars an hour flat rate. That shop management software is going to think that Jaron made twenty five bucks. They don't know that you have a thirty hour guarantee or whatever it is. And yeah, yeah, we took a client on. He was guaranteeing, you know, his people, you know, forty some hours. And, you know, it just wasn't set up correctly in, in tracks. This client was using tracks. And, and again, it's, it's not anybody's fault. We just got to educate, you know, everybody and, and make sure that they're looking at this and they're calculating this correctly. Because, again, I don't know anyone, uh, any shop management system, and I'm sure there's some out there that do that, right? But like some, said, of them, some of it do it better than others, you know, but it's really tricky, right? Because the pay plans are so weird that some of them work great. And also it depends on how your shop is operating. Because if you have a very productive shop or even a shop that's like over 100% production, the hours and the cost might be really darn close because it's going to match very closely to what you're paying. Um, but generally what I tell people is, you know, take a look at your shopper report for the end of the week and take a look at your labor sales. Obviously you can analyze everything, but take a look at that labor cost number. Now go compare that to your actual payroll that you're going to run for your technicians. And so what I usually say is take what you're paying on payroll and let's say that it's $3,000 and take a look at what you have in your shop management software and the shop management software is saying that it costs you $2,500. Do the math. You're actually paying 20% more than what you think. And that 20% is taxes, that 20% is benefits, that's workers' comp, that's vacation time, that's inefficiencies. And so what we use with that number is now I say, okay, go back and increase everyone's rate in your shop management software by 25%. That's going to get us to a pretty realistic average. It's never going to be dead on. Some weeks it's going to be high, some weeks it's going to be low, just because it's a generalization here, but it's going to get us much closer to it. And a lot of times I always tell people, Air on the higher side, right? Oh, you love you, it. You want people, yeah. you know, because a lot of the times there's issues here because the service advisor doesn't really know what's going on with the finances. They're using the shop management software. So they might have a false sense of security. Well, hey, boss, we're selling this job at 60% gross profit. And if you look at it, and I've seen this so many times, it's like, well, you didn't even set up your tech cost. It's showing that you're at 95% labor gross profit. Like that's <laughs> just outrageous, you know? And so it's very hard for you to go back and be like, why are you selling this stuff so cheap? Because the service advisor is being like, I'm making a fortune on this, right? So I always tell people, you know, if you don't know how to figure this out, whatever you have your technician's hourly rate or flat rate amount, add 25% to it, add 30% to it. It's probably going to be pretty close. But yeah, I mean, really look into comparing those numbers and trying to tweak that so you can get that very close because that's really, really important. You know, if you're trying to motivate your team, you're trying to have one common goal, you got to be looking at the same numbers. We have a lot of clients, Hunt, doing that exact same thing. Of course, they have it loaded cost, mm -hmm. but they're using the highest salary, you know, technician with their cost. The worst case there. scenario, right? Worst case scenario. So when they build that estimate, and we're teaching them to check the profitability before we pick up the phone and call the client. So we know we have a profitable estimate. We're erring on that side of caution. Great point. Couldn't have said it better myself because that's exactly how we look at it for a lot of our clients. Yeah, because think about that technician. You know, if he makes 25 bucks an hour, you're already at $30 just with payroll taxes. You know, and if they're an hourly person or a salary person and they're only 50% productive, that means that for every two hours that we pay them, they're going to get us one hour. So if you're looking at it of, hey, this person costs you $25 an hour, 
person's really costing you more like $60 an hour. And that's where you get a huge disconnect. And then also going back to what we're talking about here of labor gross profit, that just killing your labor gross profit. You know, not really by the payroll taxes, not even by the hourly rate. It's the productivity because it's like, well, hey, that 50% productivity is actually doubling my cost of that technician. I don't care. I could, you know, decrease their salary by $15 and it's still costing me way too much money, you know, which is why it's it's so important to understand this stuff and to be analyzing it. And, you know, you're, if you're sitting here and you're not a very productive shop, you struggle with efficiency. I always tell people like, hey, this stuff doesn't happen overnight, right? You're not going to go from a 60% production to 110% in one week. If you are, then, hey, great. I hope I'm glad it worked for you. But I always tell people is, hey, we're looking for improvement. You're at 60%. Next month, let's try to be at 70%. Next quarter, let's try to be at 75%. And don't get too discouraged because you read on the internet that this shop runs at 130% efficiency. They probably don't work on the same stuff. They're probably not in the same place. They don't have your same team. Just try and better yourself. Judge yourself against what you're doing and always try to be improving. Sometimes maintaining is not a bad thing, but generally you can always make it a little bit better. Even a couple points here or there, right? Jared, I just want to thank you again for not only sponsoring this podcast, but coming on. You know, if people want to learn more about Repair Shop of Tomorrow, um, like I said before, I'm going to put a link to your webinar where you dive into this in e- even more detail. Um, but what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you or, or learn more about what you guys do? www.repairshopoftomorrow.com is our website. And then, you know, my cell phone, honestly, 618-334-8489. Or you can email me, Jaron underscore Claber at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Yes, it's the world's longest email address. I apologize. <laughs> I've we'll, given out my cell phone before on a podcast and, and you know, it hasn't really rang that much. So, you know, what the hell, I'll try it again. Make sure to only call or text Jaron after, uh, you know, 10 o'clock Eastern. He's a night owl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that'll work out great for me, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, but it's been awesome. I think that this has been super productive. I think, you know, no matter if you're starting a shop, you've had a shop for a while. I've never met someone that said, hey, you know what? The labor side of my business is maximized. There's nothing I can improve. You know, and, and you talk to tons of shops too. Everyone is always looking to improve this, right? Even if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't do very well, what are the top guys doing? The top guys are hyper focused on this, right? I feel like the top performers, this is still one of the areas that they spend the most time on because it's one of the biggest profit drivers. And it's also something that has to be monitored because things change, people change, staff change, procedures change, and you always got to be looking at this. Awesome time. You know, I just want to thank everyone for joining us this week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, you know, Jaron gave out his email address. You can also shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Just want to thank again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and in your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining Jaron and I this week on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.